This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. With uh, Kathleen Wynne's approval numbers slipping, uh, could the Ontario Liberals replace their leader before the next election? I have said this for a bazillion years, and I even asked the Premier this, and she said uh, category, no, 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 no. She's not stepping down. She is not stepping down. And no matter who you ask, that's that's what they will say. However, an interesting article in the National Post today uh, from Kelly McFarlane, and the headline is, Will the Liberals Dump a Second Unpopular Premier to Hang on to Ontario? To talk more about all of this, Nor El Kadri is with us, professor at the Telfer School of Management, University of Ottawa, and with us now. Hello, Nor. How are you today? I'm doing well, Scott. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for taking the time. We always appreciate it, Nor. So we've talked about this many times. Are you surprised to hear these rumblings coming up again? Uh, no, they they will always uh, come um, back and forth uh, depending on on the polls and uh, and what's popular on social media these days. Uh, definitely, some people within the, the Liberal Party of Ontario who are MPPs are going to uh, trigger some of these uh, actions if they think that this is going to hinder their uh, electability. So if an MP, an MPP cannot be elected because of the popularity of the premier, uh, then they would uh, think, okay, well, there would be an option uh, of, of changing that. We've seen similar things before in the federal elections when Michael Ignatieff was the leader of the Liberal Party and he slipped below 22% in the, uh, in the polls. Many of the MPs who uh, helped him in his coup d'etat against uh, Dion uh, went against him and said that you can't uh, run the show as it is being run. So what happened in that case, they didn't eliminate the leader. What they did is they eliminated the whole group that was, run- that was running his office. And I would expect something similar to happen in Kathleen Wynne's uh, uh, state. Nothing uh, is going to push her. Uh, out of out of her office as a sitting premier, especially that everybody said that she's going to be weak after she took over uh, Dalton McGuinty and she proved her electability with a majority government. So uh, uh, a premier with a majority government will will not step aside. So you will, so you think that there uh, that she is in for the long haul then? She is in for the long haul and she's going to lay the blame on many people of her ads. Uh, there are going to be some scapegoats along the way. Um, they would do a small shuffle, probably. She did a shuffle in the cabinet. She, uh, she's going to do a shuffle in the, in the staff and advisors, and, uh, and then she's going to continue the course for 2018. How, ca- how many energy ministers can you go through here, though, Nor? I mean, uh, is that really the issue? I mean, initially I was going to ask you, can the Liberals use Wynne as a fall girl, but can uh, Wynne use the rest of the party? Uh, as um, as fall people, will they take will they take the blame for her? Uh, that's the challenge that we have with most majority governments. I've always said the best governments and the most accountable governments are minority governments, whether mm-hmm. they are provincial or federal. Whenever you have a majority government, the leader tends to, to run uh, the whole country as a dictator, uh, and everybody um, bows in and, and gives support. We've seen this with Stephen Harper. Um, the Prime Minister's office of Justin Trudeau these days is being so centralized in a, and it's being run in the same way. And uh, so is the case with uh, uh, with Premier Kathleen Wynne. So, so uh, um, she can uh, run through many energy ministers. And as long as she's the leader, nobody can, uh, can change her. Obviously, she wants to stay, but is it up to her? Uh it is it is up to her. Uh, the only thing that the MPPs could do are uh, they could vote against her in uh, the uh, in the legislature. Right. And uh, so far, we haven't seen any uh, any moves on on that side. That would be a pretty uh, bold move. We would that would we wouldn't necessarily see that. Do you predict that I'll, happening? I, I wouldn't see that happening because uh, the whole caucus is a splintered caucus. Uh, there are too many backbenchers who are just hanging into their places, with, uh, and there are uh, no um, heavyweights that could kind of stir the pot. I mean, in the case of Jean Chrétien, um, we had a very strong finance minister who, voted, um, who applied for leadership before. That was Paul Martin, and he was stirring the pot, and he wanted to be the prime minister, 
he was able to do that and force the, uh, the prime minister to step aside and, and have a leadership race. We don't have this case in, uh, in Kathleen Wynne's uh, liberals. We don't have anybody step into the plate, especially that the people who were uh, um, running behind here and with high popularity are not MPPs and they're not in the race, including Sandra Popatello and Gerard Kennedy. Uh, and um, Charles Souza is here, finance minister, so he he's kind of tied to her in in all of those scandals. Right. So I would I wouldn't think any um, any of the heavyweights are uh, in a position to take over. So, in other words, a, an alternative leader wouldn't wouldn't do the party any any good. I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't see that happening, and I wouldn't I wouldn't see this an option. Uh, mind you, Wynne has been very uh, vocal in the sense that this was her mistake. Can she blame it on other member, uh, members of her party for what has happened with the, electri- well, with the electricity she, uh, file? She accepted, she accepted the, the mistake of, uh, of Hydro, yep. and uh, she's uh, uh, trying to come with patches uh, to fix that. She came with the 8% uh, HST debate, and then now we're seeing those uh, uh, changes in amortization uh, uh, rates, uh, a trick that was used by banks during the recession to uh, low, lower the payment of uh, of people, and uh, that's another trick. But um, uh, she's uh, she's she's just offering another patch. It's it's no real um, solution. Some people are going to buy in this. It all comes on how you're going to put this in a in a good marketing package in an embellage that works well for for the people. Many people in Ontario um, that don't understand the real details of this are saying, "Whoa, the premier is doing something good. They're lowering the uh, the rates by 25%. Uh, they don't say that, well, no, they're not lowering by, by 25%. They, they're just extending the, the payments uh, for, for a longer period of time. Uh, it seems amortization isn't going over well uh, with Ontario, her plan that she came out with last week. What other options would she have here? Well, there there are lots of rabbits uh, in uh, in finance, and uh, they're gonna they're gonna pull some rabbits off uh, off the hats with with some more patches that they can get them along. The biggest issue that we've got here is people's memory are short, and then later on, uh, Kathleen would would come and say, "What? Well, well, we've done something about hydro. We've got the eight percent. We've got the uh, the twenty five percent and seventeen percent, and and then they're gonna do." another patch, and collectively they will say, okay, we've done a lot of things. Um, and um, people would be happy, some people would be happy with the 8%, others with the 17 others with the 25 and others with, with some newer patch. And um, this is going to be kind of uh, thrown under the rug. Um, it's the whole collective of managing the, the government uh, that's, that's not working well. And this is what people are not realizing. They're trying to zero in on one issue, which is hydro. And uh, there are many issues in, in this government beyond hydro. You talked about the public having a short memory. All they have to do is open their bill to be reminded of it. But then also, as you had said, if it drops 25% and it doesn't feel, uh, you know, Ontarians don't feel the pinch as much as they did before, uh, you know, perhaps they'll be content with this and just forget about it. On the other hand, though, I mean, we continually hear about the debt that on, uh, that Canadians are in now. I think they owe a dollar sixty-three for every dollar that they bring in. That's continually uh, going up. So, isn't the government doing exactly what the feds are cautioning us all not to do? Get overextended. Um, see, this is a, pro- a problem. And many times, I would sit with regular people who are educated, and I talk about the Canadian debt. And they're surprised, and they're, they wouldn't believe it, and they would go Google it. Mm-hmm. And, and people are not aware of these things. Uh, the fact that they're getting a paycheck or they're working, and the, the collective debt on the government, and that's going to be paid by the next generation, uh, is not on the uh, on the mind of uh, of every person on the street. Yeah. And when it's only a few, one or two percent of the people are aware of these things, and they worry about them. The majority of Canadians are going to be only listening to what happens in an electoral campaign. And in an electoral campaign, you're going to have four or five issues that you focus on. And um, if you have the money, the resources, and in Kathleen Wynne's 
taste uh, um, the incumbency, which gives her an advantage. In many situations, you um, they um, they do fare well uh, in comparison with, uh, or fairly better in comparison with, with what, what the polls uh, say. Um, in the last uh, quarter, we've seen uh, the numbers, or at least the last year fundraising, the numbers are s- switching. Uh, they are in favor of the conservatives rather than the, uh, the liberals. The NDP are eating also into their uh, popularity. So we're, uh, we're seeing them head-to-head with, uh, with, with the liberals. So that, that smells trouble for, uh, for the liberal party because on the fundraising side, they're not doing well. Um, organization, um, they're still strong. They're, uh, they, have a, they have a base and they have the incumbency. I mean, when you have a government, you have probably a thousand or two thousand staffers. That in election time, everybody is fighting for their jobs. Yeah. They're going to be volunteering full time on on the campaign. Uh, last election, uh, it little it looked like uh, PCs had it. It was theirs to lose until the last dying moments. So uh, again, we've been through this before in Ontario. What do the PCs have to do or not do in order to succeed this time? Or even the NDP, for that matter. Well, um, th- those are things that uh, we had discussions about. Polls. The only good poll is the poll of the day, and the main thing that works in in elections are money. So, if you have funds to spend on a full campaign and start campaigning out of time, this is going to make a difference. The Conservatives have it now. The NDP have have it now. So they are in on solid financial financial grounds. Uh, you need to have a strong organization in place. The liberals have a strong organization. I, uh, the conservatives are building a strong one, and the NDP have a, a strong organization. So those, since they, they are on par when it comes to organization these uh, these days, um, the incumbency is still in favor of uh, um, of the the liberal party. Uh, you. Can't underestimate having a popular MPP in a specific writing uh, that keeps coming every weekend and working with with their with their constituents um, and touch, uh, solving their their issues for a long period of time. Unless there is a tsunami with a popular leader within the Conservatives or the NDP, many of those MPs are going to be strong and. A 40% poll for Patrick Brown will not guarantee him a majority government because of the popularity of many of the MPPs in uh, in their writings. So what he need, what he needs to do is work more on stronger uh, on, the, on their organization and work the extra, go the extra mile in terms of fundraising and and, and building their uh, local organizations as opposed to the national organization or the Ontario-based organization. Noor El-Kadri has been with us, professor at the Telfer School of Management, University of Ottawa. Noor, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Thank you, Scott. You're You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. An interesting article in the National Post today by Kelly McFarland says... Uh, the will the Liberals dump a second unpopular premier uh, to hang on to Ontario? We've talked this many. We've talked about this many times, and I I I, I thought for the longest time that there's no way she'd go into the next election as leader. Uh, but she has told me personally, nope, she's going to uh, ride and continue this uh, into the next election, uh, despite some rumblings, I guess, uh, within the party that uh, they don't want to go down with the ship. Although I'm not sure if it's the leader or the captain dragging the ship down or the ship dragging the captain down. I can't see either floating to the surface uh, in this. So we're asking you the question, would you vote for the Liberals if they got rid of Kathleen Wynne? 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell. Frank, what are your thoughts? Would uh, getting rid of the leader secure your vote? No, I, I wouldn't vote for them again. I think it's time for a chance at the other parties. But more particularly, Scott, is just don't like that they keep on sort of writing blank checks they want it they want to pacify everybody they're spending their money you know frivolously and and there's, i've never heard of a situation where you say no we can't afford that let's stop 
Are you, you know surprised I mean? there, you know, after admitting that she made a mistake with the Green Energy Act, um, are, are you surprised that her solution was to just extend this loan over another, uh, over from 20 to 30 years, uh, as opposed to actually fixing the issue? Surprised? Um, I don't know whether surprised. I wasn't, I didn't know what to expect because it, it's hard to tell what she's going to do. But, but quite, to be honest with you, uh, in that regard, I don't think there's much else she could do. Uh, it's, you got the middle of this. It's almost like getting your feet in the cold water, and and the, and, the, and the pool keeps rising. You know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I don't know whether she could do anything else. But I don't like the ad, the attitude of of, of borrowing for, you know from tomorrow for today. It's simply not. It's not the way to go. No. But what else could you do? Uh, let, let's you know rock them. Say the next party comes in. What are you going to do? What's your better way of doing this? Yeah. I hear you. All right, Frank, yeah, thanks for the yeah. call. Much appreciated. Uh, let's bring in Alyssa Freeman, Principal, Alyssa PR Communications, uh, columnist, Huffington Post, Canada.com, PR Daily. And with us now, Alyssa, how are you today? Oh, I'm very fine, Scott, and how are you? I'm fabulous now that you're on the line. Thanks for taking oh, well the time. Then. <laughs> so what are your thoughts? Would a new leader do the trick here? You know, I'm really glad you talked to that previous caller. Um, and I think he said what uh, a lot of Ontarians are thinking. And honestly, I think the Liber- at this point, the Liberals would do anything to ensure that they did not lose in June of 2018. Mm-hmm. Do I think it will improve their chances? Well, you know, politics is a very, very funny thing. And we have seen very, very funny things, things that we thought would never happen over the past 18 months. Yeah. So, you know, up is down, down is up, and black is white. Would a new leader actually improve the Liberals' fortunes? You never know, depending on who they picked. Because I think that what a lot of people are also thinking is, is that they're thinking, A, it's time for a change. B, we're tired of Kathleen Wynne. Um, C, are they really tired of Wynne and the Liberals? Mm-hmm. Or D, if they brought somebody in who was better than, comparable to, uh, or presented a better face than Patrick Brown, then you never know what might happen. So will the party change her? Will she change the party? Um, who who gets blamed for this mess, or will they all go down with it? You know, they all may go down, but um, I always kid around and I say that politics is the only, you know, industry where you can fail up. Yeah. And sometimes if you're a party faithful, and even if you've helped run a campaign and you've lost, uh, you sort of stuck through it and and uh, never left the side of the leader and whatnot. So, you know, that's why Queen's Park is full of, you know, is full of people like that, to be quite honest. But the leader is, in a, is, a different, is a different animal completely. You know, they are the front face. And for everybody else to save their jobs, you know, where, you know, where's the greatest burden? Is it that the, we do away with the leader or will they do away with all of our jobs? And I think that's, you know, what the party faithful thinks about. Yeah. Uh, mind you, we've been here before. Uh, PCs had it pretty much wrapped up and shot themselves in the foot. It, that could easily happen again. What do they have to do to bring it home? Uh, you know, the PCs really do need to have their nose clean. And, and the other thing that they need to do is they need to sort of create some sort of persona around Patrick Brown. I don't think a lot of Ontarians know who he is other than he's not Kathleen Wynne. Yeah. And they've got to create this persona that doesn't seem that it's, you know, too, you know, too far to the right, um, that's a little bit more centrist, that this isn't the guy who wants to do away with the new sex ed curriculum. Uh, they've got to be very, very careful. And so how they position him will be very, very interesting in the days to come. And believe me, they're thinking about it right now. So they could sort of take two tacks, Scott, and, uh, you know, they could take the we're not the liberals tact, Mm -hmm. and we're going to get us out of this mess, which is, of course, there never are, but, you know, we're going to get us out of this mess, and or we are change, and you should vote for us because we are change. And at the same time, they have to attach that to the persona of Patrick Brown. And in some cases, maybe they're thinking, well, you know what, maybe he's the lesser of two evils, and maybe that's the way they'll position him. So there's a number of narratives here at play, um, all of which are obviously being bandied about in the uh, conservative war room. And it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. 
Uh, it seems amateurization isn't working for uh, Premier Wynne. She thought that as long as she lowered the payments, everybody would be happy. Can she go into the next election with more tools in the box, do you think? or is Well, i got to tell you, I'm pretty sure that that was one of their last Hail Mary passes. That's what I'm thinking. And I'm not sure how many more tools that they can come up with, and I'm not sure how many more commercials of her, you know, running along Rosedale Valley Road, you know, saying that she's one of the people. I think that that is gone, and it's a lot harder to change people's perception of a party um, than it would be to say, you know what, we hear you, Ontario. We know that Kathleen Wynne is not the choice you won in 2018, so we're going to present a fresh face. And the faces that Robert Benzie from the Toronto Star mentioned, including um, Charles D'Souza, uh, even Sandra Puppetello, I, I believe, was one of the names bandied about. Um, you know, maybe a fresh face is totally the way to go for you, them. You I know, don't know whether it'll do anything, but I'm sure that's what they're thinking. I've said this before, and 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 I guess it all comes down to ideology. But it would seem, and I've actually had listeners say, email me and say, "Don't say that because they'll take this idea." And what the hell are you trying to do? But I'm just confused as to why they just don't fall on the sword What it, that is the Green Energy Act. I mean, isn't it better than getting rid of all of those politicians, getting rid of your leader or doing whatever? Um, why not just come out and say, I made a mistake, this is wrong, rejig it, rebrand it the way only politicians can do and try that. Can you see that coming? I mean, if they're not gonna if they're not gonna change leaders, if this is their last Hail Mary, how can that be far behind? Well, or, you know, or or are they just so really or, really or are they just so in tune to this ideology that they refuse to let that happen? You know, when you people love when you say I saw I'm sorry. And they also love uh, a rags to riches type of story. And I think that maybe what they're thinking is if, well, if we say we're sorry, it means that we admit guilt. Well, the guilt is already there, folks. You know, I'm not sure, you know, and I'm sure that that's what's, you know, playing in their minds. You know, sorry may not be enough. But a solution is what people are looking for. I'm not sure what more of a solution. I'm not sure. Well, again, a solution is what we're, what people are looking for. I'm not saying there necessarily is one no. or that the liberals or the PCs or NDP can find it. But why not redo that? Like, why not say, you know what? I made a terrible mistake. I'm going to shut down what, the, what I – why not do exactly what the opposition will do or, you know, because they've only got limited things that they can do because all these deals are signed. So, or a lot of them are already signed. So but, but why, let's, why not let's trim it back to – I think that we talked about this, Scott, that Kathleen Wynne um, made an apology of sorts, but it was in front of Liberal Party faithful uh, yeah. during a, a meeting. Mm-hmm. And it was made in a friendly environment. But the press was there to cover it. So I think they've tried that. Yeah. You know, I'm sorry. I didn't do as well as I thought I did. But she I said sorry. She things. didn't. She said sorry, and she didn't have a solution. No. And I think if she says sorry and scraps it, I think it's better off. As opposed to saying sorry, but doubling down on it. You know what? Yeah, maybe. But I think that the, the electorate is way too jaded at this point. Yeah, maybe too you late. Know, listen, Scott, when I got my you know, hydro bill. And it was, now it's monthly, right? So, yeah. I, you know, I just paid my whack of dough and then I get a bill. Then I'm like, well, what is this? Right. And, and I'm thinking, oh, I get it. It's monthly billing instead of every three months yeah. to make it look smaller. Yeah. 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 And I have to be honest. I chuckled and I thought, well, it's a pretty good idea, but honestly, but it's just it costing us more, laugh. which is costing us more by the way. Well, I know. So, but it made me laugh and I'm thinking, really? Yeah. Is is that what it is? You know, I remember one time under the presidency of um, George Bush, uh, and they changed daylight savings time to give us more light. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm sure they were sitting in the war room thinking, well, what can we do to curry favor and make, you know, the electorate like us? I know. We'll get, and some probably more said sunlight. out of the blue, maybe we can give them, I don't know, more daylight. Yeah, we can do that. So we <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think we're there. I think we're at that I point. I honestly think the electorate is quite jaded, and if they do replace Kathleen Wynne, I think to both you and I, it will not be a surprise. All right, let's move on to something interesting like uh, Donald Trump. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, over the, uh, we talked about this last week, that uh, after his speech uh, to Congress, 
how presidential he looked, although lots of people still said, you know, wolf in uh, uh, sheep's clothing. Uh, and, and the big question was, is this the new Donald? Is, uh, is this the president, Donald Trump, that we've all been waiting for? And how long will, the, will this last? And, of course, the answer was no and four days. Um, this one seems to go deeper just simply because of the accusations, whether there's any merit to them or not. I think that's totally irrelevant. Uh, the fact that on Twitter at 630 in the morning, one president is calling out another president and accusing him of, of wiretapping Trump Tower. How does he wiggle out of this one? You know what? It's it, I can only imagine what the, his staff must be spinning in circles. I don't think that they sleep. Well, there's no way that they're sleeping. Um, you know, after that uh, pre- very presidential-like address, when even Van Jones from CNN was thinking, well, that was presidential, that was fantastic, you know, take him out of a controlled environment, and the man can't help himself. And I'll tell you, if you read the recent column in the Washington Post, you know, they say, you know, what is wrong with him? And, you know, they go through all sorts of scenarios. And, you know, one of them is, is that he, he can't take any sort of criticism. You know, it could be a sociopath. It could be this. It could be that. And his, and his uh, decision-making is really being called into question. And it almost seems like, you know, I have to think, is Trump really thinking about all these things himself or is Steve Bannon feeding it to him? Well, considering that the story regarding all of this came from that, that initially in a talk show host that they let later picked up on, I mean, that, that would be a pretty accurate statement, don't you think? Well, and the other thing, too, is that I think that there's probably somebody sitting there in their uh, communications department, and they're saying, okay, pick up every single narrative, or look at every single news clip, and find something that even has like a little bit of a bite to it that we think the American people will believe. Mm-hmm. So they find this guy who a lot of Americans didn't know until, I don't know, 48 hours ago. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they said, oh, you know, wiretapping. Well, that's ridiculous. Oh, but is it? You know, we can make Americans believe anything. Yeah. And so they sort of subscribe to the theory of if we say it often enough, people will believe it. You know, they say in advertising, it takes somebody three times at least to hear a message before it actually sinks into their consciousness. And, mm-hmm. and this is sort of the strategy, very, very simple strategy that they're using. So let's just keep saying, talking about wiretaps. Let's talk, you know, let's sort of take the narrative and the spotlight off of the fact that Mike Pence had a, was using um, his own email for political business while he was governor of Indiana. And, oh, who, who, what did they accuse uh, Hillary of? Mm, the same thing. So, you know what, karma? We know what karma is. I'm not sure I can say it on a chorus radio station, but you know what karma is. Hmm. Hmm. And you put that stuff out, and it's going to come back and slap you in the face. So, you know, a lot of this, I mean, you know, think about this. You know, Trump hasn't even been in that long. And yet, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's been a literal merry-go-round. And you can only keep this up for so long. And even when he comes out with some of these... Uh, tweets and basically corroborating that the FBI is in, in, that there is an investigation going on and not really thinking everything through. Uh, it, you know, there's a lot of the right hands and talking to the left hand here. Uh, but how can any of this be perceived, meaning his tweet on Saturday, other than a distraction? Why do it? Well, there, there, there is, is no, there take, is take no the American people uh, often onto another narrative. Yes, you're like, right. Like there is no other reason to do this other than to distract them, because again, he's won. He's he's got the chair. He, he doesn't need to pee on Hillary or Brock or anyone anymore. He's got the gig, and he has the power to answer all of these questions that he's asking because he's the president. So, yeah, well, you know, and, and the, that's a very interesting point, because I was watching a clip of a, a George Stephanopoulos interview with one of the White House uh, spokespeople. And he, you know, the media is getting very thin skin over all of this. And he kept saying, you know what, you know, that's not true. You know, that's not true. And categorically, you know, the president can do that to himself. And mm-hmm. she kept saying, well, you know, we want to have a congressional investigation. Well, what for? Don't you know that the president can do this? I have never ever like open up the filing cabinet people. and take a pay- like open up the filing cabinet and take a peek. It's all well, there. You know, this is this is true. But you know, I've never ever seen spokespeople who are pushed in front of the camera to clean up the mess. To be quite honest, yeah, and that's what they're doing because you can see it in their eyes. You can start to see it. You know, listen, I train people to be in front of the media, and you can start to see the cracks when somebody like Stephanopoulos says. 
you're telling a lie yeah. over and over and over again that, that the talking points like you know they're probably told get if you veer off this talking point no matter what the question is you know often when i'm media training somebody we call it a block in a bridge so if you get asked an untoward question you can say you know it's sort of like a yes but yeah and you move on to a different talking point. But that's the point. You move on to a different one. Yeah. You don't sound like a broken record unless you think all of the elect- electorate is incredibly stupid. You know, two years is not a long time before, you know, there's another, there are other elections happening in, in the U.S. which could tip the balance of power um, in the Congress and in the House in the favors of the Democrats. And we will see then whether this constant nattering of false messages, but just the repetition of them, will have any effect. You know, it, I, I, I was on the weekend. I'm uh, I'm doing something, and I, I pick up my device, and I see the thing about the tweet and such. And I, I walked in, and I was yakking with my wife. She always loves watching the Sunday morning news shows. And me too. I'm with your wife. Yeah, I know what she was. I watching. love that. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and and we're talking about this while while we're watching these, and I, and I'm just shaking my head. And she she brought up an interesting point. She said, "And think and to think they tried to impeach Clinton over Monica Lewinsky." Well, exactly. You know, but there's nobody better over, at dirty tricks than the Republicans, as far as I'm concerned. They do a great job of Well, that. they're all the same. But, like, well, that is true. Um, you know, but to think that, you know, you know, the biggest scandal then was, you know, who, who the, what the president was doing in the Oval Office. And now we're on to this. It, 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 just seems, it just seems nuts. Well, remember, too, that they know that uh, the Obamas are organizing somehow. The Republicans know this. They also know that they just got a $60 million book advance yeah. for their memoirs or whatnot. Yeah. Um, they know that he still holds a lot of sway with the American people. and took. Are you kidding me? State. Every time they put a picture of him up on some show, everybody goes nuts. Well, this is it. And you remember he, he held a lot of sway in the states that went from blue to red. Mm-hmm. So I think that what they're in, what they're trying to do right now, is some sort of disc, uh, a campaign to discredit Obama. You're a wiretapper. You're this. You've yeah. been doing that. You're up to dirty tricks. So even before you know he starts to get his, you know, really get going and get his feet wet, right now they're saying, okay, we have to discredit Obama because he's organizing, and this could mean big trouble for us. What do you think Obama's thinking right now? I think he's sitting back going, <laughs> <laughs> he, and then he has a drink of something and starts crying. I don't know. Because, don't know. you know, I that's it. He's, he's the kind of guy, I mean, listen, you know, Obama's a great campaigner. Yeah. And I think they're waiting for the right time and before the 2018 elections when they will start to come out again and rally the party faithful. So... um so what happens with this tweet from Saturday? Where does that go? Well, I think it's still, going, it's still dominating the news um, cycle. It's not going away. Does he have to come out and does he have to come out and say something after tweeting that? Because this is what bugs, I think, most people about Donald, is he lobs one of these uh, issues out without crossing the T's or dotting the I's and then just walks away from it and lets everybody interpret you know their own uh, their own results. Well, it this. worked during the campaign when he was stumping, because it was a fresh voice, it was an unfiltered voice, and you know when you're in a position of power, when what you say has huge effect, it's a domino effect. So you know you push over one domino and they start falling in a row, and you know the American people are going to start thinking, okay, well now what? And I think every time they want to do uh, a distraction. I'm pretty sure Steve Bannon's picking up, you know, the hotline and saying, okay, tweet something about this. Just go ahead and we'll clean it up later. Ah, yeah, the show continues. So the, the circus show continues. continues. And it is, it's a three-ring circus, baby. Alisa, uh, Alyssa Freeman has been with us, Principal Alyssa PR Communications. Alyssa, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Thank you, Scott. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. All right, uh, some permanent residents of Canada with Canadian citizenship and citizenship to other countries listed within Trump's new travel ban can be denied entry into the United States. 
what are the permanent residents or how are the permanent residents affected? Uh, Giddy Mamam is with us. He is a senior partner, founder of Maman, uh, Mam uh, Ann Sandalu King, uh, Kingwell LLP. He is an Im- um, immigration lawyer and is with us now. Hello, Giddy. How are you today? How you doing, Scott? Thank you for taking the time to, to join us. What does this new version of the travel ban mean for Canadians? Well, I think, um, uh, you know, it's, first of all, for, for Americans, I would say it's uh, this one is more likely to stick than the first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the first one was just very poorly thought through. This is probably going to uh, survive judicial scrutiny a lot better than the first one. Now, um, what it, effect, it effectively does, like sort of version 1.0, was it is going to cap refugees to the United States at 50,000. They're accustomed to taking, uh, taking in a lot more. Um, in comparison, Canada takes about anywhere from 15 to 35,000 a year. So you can see per capita, yeah. they're taking a lot less people per capita than we are. So with, with them tightening their refugee uh, system even further, that is going to create pressure on other countries, and in particular Canada, uh, to take on refugees who can't seem to seek asylum or, or, or establish asylum in the United States. So there's definitely going to be uh, an even greater pressure on us to deal with these people. Uh, what about people who are citizens or hold dual citizenship are going in and out? We've heard a couple of stories of late of people with whether it's criminal record or their uh, countries of origin that have been denied uh, entry even though they have Canadian passports. How does, that, how does this affect people, Canadians, traveling to and from America? Well, theoretically, uh, nothing has changed in terms of, of admissibility issues. If you, still ha- if you had a criminal record before, you had problems before, and you're going to continue to have problems under this new uh, executive order. That really hasn't changed. What, uh, what this order does is, of course, if you're a dual national, for example, if you're a Canadian citizen and you're also a Libyan national, for example, which is one of the six-band countries, uh, if you travel to the United States on your Libyan passport, you're not going to get in. If, on the other hand, you travel with your Canadian passport, you're going to have no trouble doing that. And as far as uh, permanent residents of Canada, again, this order will not affect you um, as long as you are carrying your valid permanent resident card. And if you need a visa to, can- to the United States, you obtain a U.S. visa from an American consulate here in Canada. And if you travel with, with your passport, even from a banned country, your your uh, your not expired PR card, and you have a visa from a U.S. consulate here in Canada. You're going to have no problems entering the United States. So, do you now need a visa where before you didn't? No, there's there's no new visa requirements. So you uh, needed if you were a dual citizenship and you were from one of those countries, you would have needed a visa anyway, or a yeah, waiver if you're a permanent resident. Right. So, uh, because obviously uh, uh, Canada has said uh, that that as long as they have the appropriate waivers, that they are fine. But did they always need to have those permanent waivers? Well, a waiver, um, a waiver. If you mean a, like a, a waiver of inadmissibility, that is uh, that is issued to people who have a criminal record or have been banned from the United States. That nothing, nothing in there has changed really. Those standards continue to apply. If you're talking about being involved in the visa waiver program, uh, again, the only real difference is that a permanent resident uh, who is uh, now living in Canada, who is from one of the banned countries, they the only new requirement is that the visa that they need has to be issued from within Canada, from a U.S. consulate in Canada. That's the only sort of new inconvenience to permanent residents. So I, I think Canada more or less got away scot-free on this. People who are uh, worried about their being born in one of those uh, countries, uh, as long as they're traveling on a Canadian passport or, or they're traveling with a visa, which they would have needed anyways, as long as they get it from uh, a U.S. consulate in Canada, they're going to have no trouble. A public safety so that's, minister, good, that's a good thing. Yeah, Public Safety Minister Ralph Goodall, uh, Goodale uh, told reporters that uh, the waiver requirements, quote, would not substantially change the process for permanent residents from the six countries since they already had to apply for a visa to enter the U.S. 
exactly you talked right. about you talked about Canada having preferential treatment. Uh, apparently, uh, Australia or even the United Kingdom don't have these provisions. Is that correct? Uh, that I, I believe you're right because the only nationality that I saw that was specifically mentioned uh, was Canada. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, uh, an entire provision uh, is reserved for the treatment of permanent residents in Canada. So, so that's how recognizing that's recognizing uh, you know, a history that we have, yeah. and the fact that on a very practical matter we share a border, and we have been uh, treating each other favorably for uh, you know for many years. How does this play in Australia or the United Kingdom? Do they see that similarity, and do they see that uh, what you just said, or do they do they feel now that they're being discriminated against? Well, I think that uh, every country acknowledges that every other country has the same right that they do, and that is to be able to determine who and who should not be allowed into their own country. So I doubt the Australians are going to be telling the Americans what to do because they don't want the Americans telling the Australians what to do. Right. So uh, this is fairly neutral to, you know, for example, Australia. Um, people who are permanent, res- permanent residents of Australia are not going to be given any particular preference um, in this uh, executive order, and they shouldn't expect it because they don't have a special relationship with the United States. Is this uh, we all- share a border, and, and we have agreements together, and we have a special type of trade together. Uh, the Australians just don't have that kind of relationship. Is this up to the discretion of border guards or officials uh, at borders? Not really. Uh, I would not say this is a matter of discretion at all. Um, if this executive order... Um, withstands judicial scrutiny. Uh, it's the law. Um, the president is not uh, necessarily allowed to make law by himself, but through this executive order, he, is, he has been given powers under the immigration laws of the United States, and they specifically say that he has the power of uh, creating classes of people who should be and who should not be allowed to enter, and for you know whatever purpose. So he clearly he clearly has this this legal power. Now some are going to suggest that this is discriminatory, offends uh, constitutional norms, etc. And that's fine. The courts will sort that out. But he has he has the power to do that. Um, and uh, you know it, it looks like he's determined to to not only to wield that power but to make the point that he has that power and that that power cannot be taken away from him. And just quickly to reiterate, you think more than likely this one will succeed in the courts? Well, the first one was a mess. Uh, Regardless of of whether you're pro-immigration, anti-immigration, the first one was a colossal mess because they didn't even deal with their own green card holders in the first executive order. Uh, So technically technically this is a sprung... this was not designed by a lawyer or vetted by a lawyer. But right. this one doesn't have very many things in here that really stand out. He's carefully carved out the things that were problematic, and what's left uh, is, in my view, probably going to survive scrutiny. All right, uh, Giddy, got to ask you one more question. This in regard to uh, asylum seekers coming to Canada, Manitoba, Quebec. I guess BC's had some issues with this as well. How big an issue is this going to be through the summer with Canadians? We've talked about this before. I understand the government is is now addressing this and, and trying to come up with a plan. What needs to be in that plan? They have to figure out if, um, if in fact, we start getting big numbers, uh, how they're going to put a, nu- a numerical limit on it. Because, uh, as I've, uh, I've expressed to you my opinion before, the 1951 convention that we signed in 1969 has no numeric limit. Uh, theoretically, if a, if a million people showed up on our shores, we have to process a million refugee claims, and if they all succeed... They all get to stay. Um, I'm not saying a million of people are headed our way, but I do know that the numbers that we're seeing are only a hint of what is coming. It is only the tip of the iceberg. Once the weather uh, clears up, uh, you don't have to risk you know, life and limb to get to Canada. Uh, that not only individuals will be coming, but, it, but families and extended family members will be coming, and the numbers are going to multiply very, very quickly and will exceed 
the capability of the Immigration Refugee Board to consider all those cases. I mean, they only have so many judges and so many hearing officers. And then we're going to have a situation where the system just runs flat and it cannot uh, function anymore because it's overwhelmed. Giddy Maman has been with us, senior partner, founder of Maman, Sandaluk, Kingwell, LLP, Immigration Lawyers. Giddy, thanks for the time and insight. As always, much appreciated. Thank you, Scott. Thank you for having me. Uh, let's bring in George Breckenridge, retired political science professor, McMaster University. He is with us now. Hello, George. How are you today? Oh, I'm fine, Scott. Thank you for taking the time to join us. We always uh, appreciate this. Uh, your thoughts on uh, round two of the travel ban and how this could affect Canadians? Well, as your previous speaker said, I mean, the first, the first rollout of this was a complete mess, complete botch. Mm-hmm. They did it without consulting people. They, they tried to make out this was an immediate emergency. They had to do it right away. <laughs> and, and they included all kinds, of, all kinds of people who were caught in the net. It was a complete, complete disaster. And, of course, the courts put a hold on it because, you know, it not only there were so many questions around it, but also the question about whether parts of it might be unconstitutional. And so, you know, the, the the next court stage would be an inquiry as to a hearing as to whether parts of it were unconstitutional. For example, by discrimination on on the grounds of religion. So they they were stymied there, and so they've picked it up again and tried to and cleaned it up a fair bit. You know, so they've they've excluded green card holders and existing visa people and dual citizens and things like that. Now, but the whole thing is a political. You know, he prides himself. Trump prides himself uh, on fulfilling his promises. Well, we know, which is you know, not a bad thing in itself. But some of the promises didn't make any sense, mm-hmm. uh, like, like this, and like the uh, you know the famous Mexican wall. Um, so what he what the reason the original he originally presented it as a as a temporary Muslim ban period mm-hmm. in order to find out what was going on that's what he said and so that background you know hangs over the whole thing mm-hmm. um, and uh, so and in any case this is supposed to be temporary anyway now why put in a temporary thing like this well because they figure out they they've got to find better way, you know, more extreme ways to vet people. Now, the problem is that they're way behind the times. I mean, the, the, um, the, the 9-11 uh, uh, terrorists mm-hmm. um, were led into the United States. Um, they, uh, they, they mostly came from Saudi Arabia, by the way, which is not covered by this ban. Yeah. And since then, from what all the experts say, the vetting process has tightened up enormously. So there's there's no essential problem in that regard, and anyway, the evidence is that the the the, the cases of lo, you know terrorism, localized terrorism in the United States, have all been people who have been in the, who have been in, in some cases were born in, in yeah. the United States or have been there for years and years. So the, so the problem is not with terrorists coming into the United States anymore. The problem is, you know, of Americans, uh, many of them with that kind of background, but be- becoming radicalized through the Internet and stuff like that. That's really the problem. So they're really trying to address a problem which essentially doesn't exist. I mean, you could never say that you know, a terrorist would never get in, but that's not really where they've been coming from. And in addition to that, of course, the country's covered. You know, the, the countries not covered are the big ones, you know, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, mm-hmm. Pakistan, you know, the Gulf states. So they've picked on the weaker the weaker countries for you know to avoid other kinds of problems with the, with these countries whom they don't want to offend. Um, they've taken Iraq out at the at the uh, urgent request of the military, you know, who are cooperating with the yeah. Iraqi forces <laughs> in capturing Mosul at the minute. You know, so so they've uh, it basically makes no real sense. I've heard I've pro- I've heard proponents of this say that uh, the reason for those seven now six countries yeah. is because you know uh, at least through the other ones you mentioned there is some vetting process there yeah. isn't a vetting process through these six. Yeah, I know that's what they say. Well, I mean the answer to that is if you can't get collect good information to to vet people properly, you don't let them in at all. I mean, isn't that the answer to that? And uh, as I say, I think they obviously excluded the big countries because they didn't, whether they have important trading or other relations with them, and they didn't want to offend them. 
and they don't mind defending Iran, and they don't mind defending these weaker these weaker states. Will so, this appease Trump's uh, base? Will this appease his core? Yeah. Uh, as you said, yeah. uh, he wants yeah. to keep those promises. So yeah. whether yeah. you know they're legitimate or not, as you're mentioning, yeah. is that's good enough for the base? Oh, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I mean, I mean, the background to the whole thing is that it's very, very easy to stir up people's fears. Mm-hmm. And Islam is relatively new to the United States on any scale. And so it's very easy to to uh, encourage people to think that all Muslims um, uh, are coming from any of these kind of the Middle Eastern countries are potential threats. And obviously that's nonsense. It's not true at all. Um, so it's very easy to do that. And so the way Trump campaigned and the way he built up his support basically kind of white working class support, which a lot of which had previously been democratic, um, was to play, to, unfortunately, to their worst instincts about Mexicans, etc., and also against uh, Muslims. And so, yeah, they they will see this um, as, you know, him fulfilling his promises, doing what he said he would do. That's what they like about him. You know, so in the short run, it 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 helps um, them, but it, but strategically, I mean, the other problem with it not only is there not a problem, this is this is addressing a non-problem on a temporary basis, but it, what it does, unfortunately, is send a very negative message to the rest of the world. Hmm. They, who, who simply see it as some kind of Muslim ban. All right, I can't let you go, George, until I hear your thoughts on uh, the Saturday tweet. Uh, we chatted way back when, um, last week, everybody talking about how the speech to Congress went so presidential. How yeah, long right. Is this the new Trump? How long will it last? And the answer <laughs> is no, in four days. Well, uh, right. It was four own, days. <laughs> he steps on his own message. Well, I mean, what happened was, apparently, you know, he was very, very pleased, as he should have been. It was a pretty good speech for him for the best speech he's done, so mm-hmm. for sure. And then, but the the, the uh, investigation, the pressure for investigating their, his, uh, his people's connections with Russia kept going, you see. Mm-hmm. And so he was worried that this was, you know, stepping on this, his glorious moment. And so then he decided to throw another bomb into the, into the mix <laughs> and saying, investigate that. So the accusation... That Obama was behind was was uh, wiretapping Trump Tower. I mean, there's, it's it's, it's preposterous. Nobody, but wait a sec, nobody, George. Nobody, nobody believes it. He's the president. Can he get answers to all these questions he's asking us about? <laughs> like, wh- why is he? Why why well, do this? Right. Why think, tweet? Why tweet? Why not just go down the hall and ask somebody exactly. if there's you any truth to just this? Ask the FBI if this is true. The FBI have said indirectly that it isn't true. I don't think anybody believes this at all. But it, it was thrown into, you know, he has, he, a lot of his tweeting it seems to be kind of impulsive in the middle of the night. Yeah. People are often pretty crazy in the, when they can't sleep in the middle of the night. But, but a lot of it is clearly diversionary. I mean, this was thrown out there as a diversion from the other questions about investigations. And, uh, and this is what he's like. You know, this is what he's going to keep doing, I think. I, there's no reason to imagine he's going to change. And so it, it creates a maximum confusion. But, of course, it, all it does is add to um, the confusion, you know, it, yeah. it sort of cloud the picture after his good, positive moment, you know. George Breckenridge has been with us, retired political science professor, McMaster University. George, thanks for the time. As always, much appreciated. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.